Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt. I'm delighted to welcome you to this very special Empire podcast. It's October 5th, 2012, at the time of recording anyway, which means that it's Global Bond Day. And to mark this arbitrarily declared day and the 50th birthday of the greatest secret agent of all time, sorry, Austin Powers, I've assembled my very own Q branch of Bond fans and experts to give 007 a good old going over. First up, I'm joined by a man who six years ago joined me in embarking upon a 20-film, 42-hour Bondathon that still scars us to this day. It's Nick Desemlian. How are you? Jibber. Chris, I thought I'd ask you not to mention that. It's, it still traumatises me. It does. I can't watch Die Another Day without just everything falling out of my stomach and rushing to the toilet. It was, it was horrible. I was hallucinating Roger Moore for days afterwards. <laughs> Unless he was actually following me around. <laughs> he may well have been. Oh, uh, do you want to do it again? Sure. With added Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace? No. <laughs> <laughs> Next up is a man who has written virtually every word Empire has printed on Skyfall, a.k.a. Bond 23, a.k.a. the one that's coming out in the next few weeks. It's Dan Jolin. Hello. Hello, Chris. What? <laughs> Who's that? Which one's that? Uh, uh, it's George Lazenby. <laughs> it's very good. Yes. It's very, very good. This never happened to the other fella. <laughs> <laughs> I presume that was your Sean. Yes. How's, how's your Roger? <laughs> I can't. I just can't do. You can't do, Roger. Hello, not, Chris. Not no. everybody can. <laughs> That's pretty good. Um, That's pretty that good. was my Dalton. Oh, oh really? Yeah. Okay, I've got a Dalton. More of a problem eliminator. That's terrible. But anyway, go on. <laughs> moving on. Uh, last but not least, we have a very special guest in the podcast uh, booth. Uh, Neil Alcock is perhaps best known as the Incredible Suit top movie blogger The Incredible Suit <laughs> but he's also a huge Bond nerd uh, and the founder of the wildly ambitious blog along a Bond which tackled a Bond film a month in the run up to Skyfall which is much safer than cramming them all into a Coke Zero Fuel 48 hours believe me hello Neil hello welcome thank you yeah I'm not going to attempt any impressions can you not do anything at all the best. <laughs> I prob- well no there's no point in me trying because I'll just end up looking silly and I think I'm going to look silly anyway <laughs> we'll work on it okay <laughs> we need to have one impression of a Bond by the end of the podcast. Okay. So get it right in your head. Okay. Think about who it's going to be. All right, I will. All right. Uh, the format of this is going to be very, very simple. We've been asking you for your Bond-related questions on Twitter, and we're going to tackle as many as we can and somehow condense 50 years of bondage into one hour. Uh, off we go with a frankly provocative question from at Lee Fan Colombo, who says, why are 007 films so shite or average at best? Now, Next question. Yeah. <laughs> this is the five-star question, isn't it? This is the five-star question, because... We love Bond. We're here to talk about Bond. This is something we all we all grew up uh, idolizing, I guess. And yet, there's probably not that many classic five star films in the Bond canon. Would you say? I mean, I wouldn't say they're all average or shite, to quote Lee Van Colombo. But uh, how many classic Bond films are there, and why are we still talking about this guy fifty years after he first? Or shots? We were talking about this in the office uh, the other day. And are there any classic Bond shots you can point out? You know, Raids of the Lost Ark. You can talk all day about great moments or great shots. Mm. Do you have that in Bond films? Is that because Raiders of the Lost Ark is a director's movie and there's always a sense in a Bond film that they're producers' movies and the directors are hired hands brought in to keep the things under budget and on on schedule? I think if you look at um, James Bond's introduction in Doctor No, his very first scene, Mm -hmm. that's a classic shot, but maybe Mm -hmm. that's just because of history that that's the way it is. I mean, it's, it's extremely well put together. You know, the editing's good, the cinematography's great, and the music mm. comes in at exactly the right time. The performance is good. But, um, yeah, it's not, as you say, brilliantly directed in a imaginative way. Yeah. I guess you think of things like the Union Jack parachute mm. 
in Spy Love Me. That's an indelible yeah. movie image, isn't it, really? And there's lots of great stuff in Goldfinger. I mean, obviously, Bond on the, the table with a laser headed towards his nuts. I mean, yeah. that's, that's a classic. There's tons of iconic moments throughout the franchise. And I would say Goldfinger is a five-star film mm-hmm. in terms of just a, a fun action movie. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and in, terms of, in terms of the franchise itself, you know, that's the, that's the one, that's the template setter, isn't it? That's, that's the blueprint um, and I think I think you know that's 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 the one all the directors since have kind of looked back at, isn't it? I think so. Yeah, I'd go so far as say there's a, there's a few more five star films for me anyway in the in the canon. Okay, uh, let's go for it. You only live twice. Oh dear, I think it's a five star one. I love I'm that. Sure, film. I love it. Oh dear, I love it. No, no, no. It's good. You know, that's got the. Donald Pleasance and the volcano and, and, and fantastic but would I go to five? But you only think, twice doesn't feature yeah. a very great Sean Connery performance though does it? He's a bit tired. No, I, I think you'd have to dock a star for his uh, portrayal of a, a man <laughs> pretending to be Japanese. Yeah that is slightly dodgy yeah. to be fair but I just uh, there's, there's something about the scope of You Only Love Twice the, and the It's got fantastic set design Yeah the volcano is brilliant. Mm. Yeah, but Spy Who Loved Me has all of that stuff. Yeah. That's true. I do love The Spy Who Loved Me. The best Roger film, I'd say. I would say so, yeah. Yes. And then uh, I'd go Live and Let Die. Oh, oh interesting. Yeah. yeah. Inter- well, I'm sure we'll get on to that at like some pro- point. Pro- but properly scary in places. Yeah. But it, that- it's, it, it's an interesting point, isn't it, about the fact that there aren't that many classic films. Yeah, but what Dan was saying about the Goldfinger blueprint and subsequent films trying to emulate that blueprint has been a big kind of stone around the neck of Bond for many, many years because mm. it's it's that that's made them fail. When they've tried to recapture that, it hasn't quite worked and it's when they've gone away from that and tried to change things a bit, do it a bit differently like in On a Majesty's Secret Service or mm. The Living Daylight's License to Kill, Casino Royale, those are the ones that have succeeded when they've moved away from the Goldfinger model. Also, actually, one that I personally really like is For Your Eyes Only. Mm. And I know that's not a very popular one, that's that's Roger getting a bit long in the tooth for it all. It's the darkest Roger one, isn't it? But, but it's yeah. In terms of of the way it's structured and the way it, you know, ostentatiously kills in inverted commas, Blofeld in inverted commas, and blows up the Lotus Esprit, and then just goes right. We're going sort of on a different course here. Yeah. It drops him down a chimney, right? That's correct. It yeah. does. It does. Which is yeah. really weird. The beginning of the film doesn't really fit with the rest of it. Yeah, that's the, the point. That's yeah. the, I think that's the whole point they were making because it followed Moonraker. Yeah, it's deliberately more down-to-earth and darker than Moonraker. And I think that when they finished with Moonraker, I think that Roger Moore thought that Moonraker would be his last. And so I suspect that maybe they were thinking of another actor when they wrote For Your Eyes Only, and then it turned out that Roger stayed on. (laughs) Wasn't it a Timothy Dalton? Wasn't he in the frame for Your Your Eyes Only at one point? I believe that was when he first became on, on their radar. For that movie, and then I think some, something happened with Moore that he said, oh, "Okay, I commit to uh, a and couple actually, more." And the other way around, uh, Living Daylights was actually originally uh, something that was written for Roger Moore, and Dalton took over uh, during the kind of pre-production. So there are lots of outlandish, cartoonish, Rogerish moments in there. Well, I like Living Daylights as well, plot-wise as, as well. I kind of like that kind of pulling it back into the real world. The bad guy's an arms dealer. You but, know. Yeah, but it has a boombox bazooka. <laughs> yes. I mean, it did have a flying carpet at one point, which was cut out. Really? Yeah. There's a cut scene on the DVD where Timothy Dalton, uh, he's doing that chase along the rooftops and he throws a, a rug over some telegraph wires and slides down it. And then you get these guys down on the ground, like smoking shisha pipes, doing a double take <laughs> as, he, as he comes past. It's dreadful. It's you can't, you can't top the uh, double take pitch in the Moonraker, so they must have stopped. I wish somebody would top the double uh, take. Yeah, or, or the, old, the, old, the old tramp, the yeah. tramp who throws away his uh, yeah. bottle, of, a bottle of alcohol. Do you think the uh, double take pigeon's dead now? 
I don't know how long pigeons I, live. They don't live very long, but Pig- yeah. an hour. No, no, no they, live for about, <laughs> they live for about 70 to 80 years. Imagine pigeons. the shock. Probably killed him. He was at the premiere. Yeah. yeah. If you go to Comic-Con, he's there signing autographs. <laughs> In a tiny pigeon tuxedo. Doing double takes constantly. <laughs> for your eyes only, it's very interesting because, uh, as far as I can remember... Um, having not seen it since a Bondathon in 2006 it's one of the few films in which Roger who's probably the sleaziest and most lecherous of all the Bonds hmm. rejects someone's advances yes in this case it's an underage girl yes. admittedly uh, but even Roger draws girl. a line <laughs> even Roger draws a line there <laughs> one girl that he does end up sleeping with in the same film is only two years older I think one or two years older than the girl that, whose advances he rejects so we can see where his his line about 30 yeah. years younger <laughs> also the one he rejected was really annoying she was yeah <laughs> I wouldn't have either <laughs> thanks Dan same. Um, we're not going to tackle these in any particular order I'm mm. just going to look at them randomly these questions so the next one is from at GazL78 uh, who says as the Bond franchise moves on with the times will Bond move away from the Walther PPK no well, he has and then oh back. hang on wait a minute wait a minute he used a P99 in Dine of the Day and Casino Royale went back to the PPK in Quantum of Solace mm-hmm. And in Skyfall, I think he uses a different, a, a kind of PPK, but it's Q branch of giving him a. I'm doing this with my hands, so you can tell what I'm talking about. Um, it's got now. a signature thing on it, so that it only recognises Bond's palm print. Yes, not unlike Licence to Kill. Absolutely, mm. or Judge Dredd. <laughs> Much the same thing. Yeah. Mm. Well, no, because it's funny. They they deliberately put the scene into Skyfall to riff on Doctor No, because there's the scene very early on in Doctor No where Q, although he's he's not actually called Q and yeah. he's not played by Desmond Llewellyn uh, gives Bond the water PPK and, and Bond's a bit sort of put out by this like, you know, in, in the same way that he's a bit put out by having to get a new car in Goldfinger mm. um, and uh, uh, you know the Q in um, Doctor No says something along the lines of you know this is much better for what you need to do and obviously I'm paraphrasing um, but yeah so Ben Wishaw in, in the new one actually gives him this water BBK and you know, he says the whole thing you know it's more of a personal statement okay and they've deliberately played on that whole kind of legacy thing uh-huh. so yes good it's back properly good good I do like a Walther hmm. uh, do you think Q's going to get a, any action in this one in a sort of what kind of firing action? guns yeah, at people not, 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 not <laughs> a sort of sleazy Roger kind of way you never know <laughs> You never know. It would be nice to see him get a bit more than just the handing out the gadget mm. scene. Mm. I, I've been assured that he has a lot more to do. It's okay. not He doesn't just turn up for that scene and then disappear off. He comes and removes malware from Bond's laptop. Something along those lines. Apparently he's more, he's more directly... No, seriously. He's, he's, he's more directly engaged in, in, in the fight against uh, the bad guy Silver because Silver's thing is hacking, amongst oh. other things. And so there's Q's a, thing a is hack-off. Hacking. There may be some kind of hack. This sounds really boring. Yeah, it's, it's, it's never very cinematic. People tapping, tapping away at keyboards. Yeah, I think I think that's the thing. I think the idea is maybe Q's doing that while Bond is, you know, bedding women and, and shooting people in the face. We have seen some new scenes, new shots rather, of Q with a whole bank of screens in front of him. So maybe he's like a rock star hacker. So he's doing it on several keyboards. One's like Rick Wakeman. It would be. So he, <laughs> he's hacking pres- one with- Presumably the master villain Silver is not just going to be in his bedroom, uh, sort of. Hacking away in his pants. He's yeah. ready. Shut up, mum. I hate you. I'm trying to rule the world. Over the world. <laughs> he's, he's a grand manipulator of reality. Oh. So am I. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. uh, at Suzarella asks, what are our favourite Bond and double entendres? Mm. Well, there are so many. 
I know. Anything that refers to Bond's penis is brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, keeping, when, the, keeping the British end up. Yeah, or um, don't get the soap in my eye. Um, but when Tatiana Romanova says I think my mouth is too big he says no it's the right size for me <laughs> the best one's probably Money Pennies in Tomorrow Never Dies when she says oh you always were a cunning linguist oh yes yes uh, that is a good one um, I just like all the really cheesy ones at the end of films yeah. uh, like we've said keeping the British end up and I love uh, I think he's attempting re-entry sir that's my favourite um, <laughs> easy which, which is a reference to sex yeah, yeah. as it turns out yeah mm. Attempting wow. re-entry. Mm. Attempting re-entry. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a weird innuendo. It suggests he's having trouble. You've had your shacks. Okay. Uh, Favourite Bond of one time. I'm putting a big shacks. Shacks. Uh, I'm putting a big tick by that one. That's done. That's out of the way. That was a great uh, Brosnan, by the way. Thank you. I liked it. Neil, how's your impression coming on? Yeah, working on it. <laughs> At Fitzo Chris asks, will the gun barrel sequence be restored to the start of Skyfall? That's this a, is interesting that's because... That's a really good question. Yeah. Because they've, they've the done answer. away with it. Mm. Dan, yeah, yeah, you wrote and directed Skyfall. You, you can't tell us. <laughs> no, I, I... Do you want my educated guess here? As, as, as educated as can be, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm educatedly guessing yes. Mm-hmm. I think it's got to be. Yes. So many people complain that it was at the end of Quantum of Solace. Hmm. And they seem to be going for a slightly more crowd-pleasing one with Skyfall. Yeah. I think that they will put it back. Mm. I asked this question to Daniel Kleiman, who created the opening titles for Skyfall, and he wouldn't tell me. So that's a non-story. <laughs> that means yes. That means yes. You <laughs> might have reminded him. He might have, like, dashed back you to know, the office. Down, and gone, I knew there was something I had to do. Yeah. <laughs> I, just, I miss it. I miss it at the beginning of the movies. Um, I watched Quantum of Solace for the first 15 minutes of Quantum of Solace again last night, having rewatched uh, Casino Royale. And I kind of get why it's not at the beginning of Casino Royale, and they, they do fudge it in a way at the beginning of that. Um, but I really missed it at the beginning of Quantum of Solace. Bond movies should not start like any other movie. There's there's a uh, there's a real sense of of occasion about a Bond film, yeah. And you have to have that music. You have to have the guy walking across the screen and firing the gun. At, at presumably a sniper. What? Who, who is this? Well, the idea I think was demonstrated in Casino Royale that it's supposed to be his first kill. So yeah. It's when he turns and fires at. at the, the first kill that he makes as his two kills that's that a casino royale but is, is, has that always meant to be the case has that always well, been I his first know, kill well I don't know maybe retroactively that's what they're now saying is, the gun barrel represents but it's it's a very arty thing isn't it it was mm. in the 60s Maurice Binder this German guy invented it and created it and I think it was more of an arty statement mm. a bit like the whole title sequence for Doctor No is all those dots and stuff I think it just came it's just part of that uh, it's amazing to actually be there and watch while they're shooting that I guess they probably make the guy stand like walk across a room and spin around it's just a white room isn't it I think I've seen some kind of stills of them shooting it they just it's just shot in a completely with a, like a white psych they just oh just it sounds boring I've changed yeah, my mind it's, <laughs> yeah, it's really like, boring it's like they don't actually put a camera inside a gun you know that don't <laughs> <laughs> all those Bond actors have come so close to being killed every single time <laughs> they miniaturise each actor put him at the end of a gun and stick a camera at the other end That's how if you do. don't get this right Pierce Brosnan you're dead <laughs> One take, one take, Brosnan. Yeah, I, I just, I just love it. And there's um, the Bond documentary Everything or Nothing, which is also out today on October fifth. Um, and it begins with this incredible sequence where you see all six so Bonds walking across the screen, and you know it, it intercuts them. And then finally, there's a there's a shot of all six of them turning towards the camera and, and firing at the same time. And uh, yeah, it just 
you know, the Bondathon in a way kind of <laughs> raised all my love for Bond <laughs> over 42 <laughs> horribly grueling, grueling hours oh. and that one shot of the six Bonds was just everything I needed to just bring all the love flooding back and I ran home and rewatched Casino Royale that's the way I want to go being shot by all six Bonds <laughs> would be the greatest death ever it was years before I realised that was the barrel of a gun. I thought it was like a robot's eye or something. <laughs> you know, it was just, as a kid watching it, I never got it. I never or got a searchlight yeah, or well, something. Or yeah. a camera or, you know, because it's uh, the, the rifling in the barrel. You know, I didn't know about mm. rifling, you know, and, and, and I just... just <laughs> I know what you mean. I, I, I was young, I was foolish. You? I suspect and that's also, the case for me as well. Yeah, and, and, and the way the blood comes down, it doesn't make any sense that it comes no, down over the inside of the barrel That's as why well. I think it's kind of more of an arty thing. Yeah. But that's, that's what also makes me think it could be a sniper. Because a sniper yeah, would be crouched over his gun, the bullet would hit him in the head, he'd slump forward against the rifle, the blood would then seep out of this massive hole in his head yeah. and then drip onto the onto the sight. But that means a bond is an incredible shot. I don't I think, mean, yeah. I mean, the sniper would be really far away. A water PPK does a, not have the range. The Maybe it's not sni- blood. He might have shot a bucket a of red paint that's above the guy and it's gone all over his gun and ruined the gun. <laughs> that's just silly, Nick. That's just silly. Makes sense. <laughs> well, like an octopus or something. <laughs> that's right. not okay. Sean Connery, you know, in um, in the first two or three oh, gun battles. Hmm. Yeah. Who is it? I think it's a stuntman called Bob Simmons. The Unknown Bond. The, what, yeah. That should be the name of his autobiography. <laughs> the first man to play Bond in a Bond film. Hmm. Who was the first guy who actually played Bond? Oh. Who was the guy who played well, the, There are loads of answers to that question. It's yeah. the Bob Holness Bob one, Holness isn't it? Bob did it in yeah. the video. He I wasn't think. the first, though. There was an American. There was an American. There was, was, the, an American there was the Casino TV Royale TV yeah. version, which Bond was played by an American called Barry Nelson, mm-hmm. who played the hotel manager of The Overlook in The Shining. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, and there's actually a clip of that in uh, Everything or Nothing. And it's absolutely dreadful. He's American. Yeah. yeah Jimmy, Bond. Jimmy Bond. Yeah. Jimmy Bond, yeah. yeah. Woody Bond. Allen's obviously had a go at it. New question from at I Knew The Twist. Uh, if all hope failed and they had to remake a Bond, which one would you like to see? And who would direct it? You so know what my answer to this is. Go on then. Christopher Nolan, clearly, <laughs> would direct or a remake. Secret Service. <laughs> well, he's already done that. It's called Inception. Um, I would go for From Russia with Love. From Russia What's with Love. What's wrong with that? Why I would agree. you remake that? I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. I'm just saying I'd like to see Christopher Nolan remake it. Would all the stuff with the gypsies be a bit dodgy these days? You could just completely change that. Yeah. It's a remake. Turn them into robot gypsies. Yeah, yeah, you could do what you liked. <laughs> a three-hour yeah. epic. I, I was, think- was going to say From Russia with Love as well. Hmm. I think it's a great story. Yeah. But what about your director? Who would you have? Oh, I really want to see Tarantino do it still. I know he came close. To, well, it, close is not yeah, really he says accurate. He came close. <laughs> but he wanted to remake it, uh, Casino Royale, with with Pierce Brosnan, which would have been Brosnan's swan song. This has fallen into the, the realms of urban legend over the last few years. But did he ever get to the point where Eon said no? Because it's been not, there's been talk over the years that Eon are are very protective of of the Bond movies, and they like to get directors in who don't necessarily have a great visual stamp. I don't think you would get a name director like Tarantino or Christopher Nolan because as you said earlier, they're producers films more than directors films. Steven Spielberg came close. He was being courted for it in the early days and he ended up kind of doing Indiana Jones as an answer to not getting Bond. But he wasn't a name then, was he really? No. Isn't Sam Mendes a name director? But does he have a... Not in a a massive blockbuster crowd-pulling kind of way. Hmm. It's a bit like Kenneth Branagh on Thor, you know, mm-hmm. the way that the, the Marvel movies tend to like people who can get good performances out of actors and leave the technical stuff to our 
our, our technical teams, our special effects guys, we'll, we'll take care of all that stuff and you just make sure that the words sound yeah. right. That's mm. essentially the way I see the, the Eon relationship. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Neil, but you know, over the years, I think people like Brian De Palma and John Woo have expressed interest in directing Bond movies, which would be just visual delight, but mm. they don't seem to get close. They, they won't be allowed to sit in that director's chair. No, I think you're right. I think that they you get an actor's director to direct the dialogue and then you get a great second unit director like Vic Armstrong or Alexander Witt who did Casino Royale doing Skyfall to do the um, the action stuff I yeah. think that's how it works I'd like to see somebody like um, Matthew Vaughan or Duncan Jones yeah. or um, one of these kind of Scandinavian directors that are making all these great thrillers at the moment someone like Thomas Alfredson yeah. mm. would probably be really good for the dialogue stuff absolutely and Matthew Vaughan's interesting because he uh, he's openly stated he wants to do one mm over the last couple of years and he was he, he was, was in the frame for something at one he point. was in the frame with um, he says he was in the frame for I think it was Quantum of Solace yeah. and it didn't quite work out for him and he's been developing a, a very dark spy thing which I don't think is going to happen now okay. again as a Spielberg like answer to that and uh, Duncan Jones of course is directing an Ian Fleming biopic yeah I'm not excited about that <laughs> I'd like to see Steven Soderbergh have a go at it after seeing Haywire yeah which uh, also stars Michael Fassbender who I think should be Bond yes ooh I'm sure that's a question we're going to be addressing very very soon but Neil if you had a remake one Bond what would it be well ironically the one that's already been remade Thunderball <laughs> is it's just awful it's so dull and boring <laughs> it's a really really good book and the script yeah. completely overcomplicates the story it gets bogged down in loads of nonsense gadgets and what have you and uh, like a fifth of it is underwater and it's just so slow they need someone to come along and just do that again and do it better than they did Never Say Never Again, which is also appalling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, it was. It was. That's Actually, what... Nolan would do a great job with Thunderball. Imagine Nolan underwater. Imagine Nolan doing everything. It'd be everything, brilliant. Yes. Oh, it'd be so amazing. I'd like him uh, to dial it back a bit, though. From no, the, I from think the he should amp it up even more. No, you're crazy. <laughs> Bond. Bond. <laughs> that'd be amazing. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's time for tea. Uh, at Reservoir Doggy says, whose idea was it to include that goddamn comical noise during Golden Gun's car stunt and were they justly punished? Well, I don't know about the second part, but the comical noise. This is the car flip. <laughs> I'd like to imagine. I'd like to imagine that Roger Moore snuck into the editing room after everyone else had gone home one night and added it himself. That's what I'm imagining. So don't ruin that for me, please. Well, let's, let's not forget that you know, um, you know, the Bond movies were. were were all made at Pinewood, uh, which was also the home of all the Carry On films, Ooh. which also had some great comedy sound effects in them. You know, so you're saying Sid James snuck in yeah. and added it? I think so. I think I think probably it was Sid James. He'd been a great Bond. Mm. <laughs> He'd been fantastic. With Kenneth Williams as M. Oh mm. God, that's amazing. That would be oh, that would be sublime. Mm. It is quite an annoy- annoying noise. As a director, that's a, direct, that's a director's choice, isn't it, or a producer's choice, or something? Someone said this uh, this amazing stunt. Someone came in on Monday and went, "Listen to this, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this amazing stunt. This probably the best, well, for my money, and probably one of the best Bond stunts it's ever, amazing. or best yeah. stunts yeah. of all time." Yeah. yeah, it needs someone going. Ooh. <laughs> I imagine the stunt. I imagine the stunt guys were a little bit annoyed when they went to the premiere and this stunt, which they <laughs> risked their lives for. Unless, of course, it was. Ooh. Unless with, uh, cause that was live sound from the stuntman. <laughs> he was, he was <laughs> trying. An amazing stunt. Um, what are our favourite stunts, by the way, in, in Bond? Oh, I like that one where the car goes over the thing and spins and goes. 
I also love the ski jump from the spy of me. Absolutely. Oh, and I, uh, one thing I love about that is that the music doesn't kick in yeah. until the flag comes up. Yeah. yeah. Flutter, 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 flutter. Yeah, that's a really great. And that's a great directorial moment, actually. Yeah, it is. So, jumping across the alligators or crocodiles, whichever they are. Alligators, I guess. Yeah. Even let die. Hmm. Yeah. That's an awesome stunt. That's a good one, Dan. Mine's from The Living Daylights. Oh, really? Yes, yes. It's the uh, cargo plane. Yeah. Uh, Bond is fighting the bad guys and uh, the, the, the doors open and the cargo goes flying out the back and this, they're actually out clinging on. Which is something that was actually copied uh, for a video game called Uncharted 3, which came out this year. And there's uh, an entire sequence where it's exactly that on a cargo plane and you're hanging onto the bags. Well, there you go. It's Honestly, I, I saw that Odeon Leicester Square with my dad and I was gaping in amazement during that and I turned to my dad like to say look at this isn't this the best thing you've ever seen who's asleep and he was fast <laughs> yes, exactly and it's just it's just so annoying play it again play it again honestly and then he nearly started a fight with someone at the tube station afterwards because they shoved him honestly <laughs> Just turning into a therapy session. Yeah. <laughs> You've reminded me of uh, the tanker chase in uh, *License to Kill*, which Amazing. I absolutely love. Amazing. It's my favourite bit of vehicular mayhem in any of the Bond films. And the uh, the bit yeah, where the bit where Dalton is driving the tanker and flips onto two wheels. Or, or nine wheels. <laughs> yeah, yeah, nine wheels, exactly. Yeah. That's amazing. Uh, I love a bit of Brosnan business. Uh, not like that, but a lovely bungee jump at the beginning of *Goldeneye*, which is fantastic. Hmm. Uh, that's amazing. And... Uh, uh, I love the, the motorcycle stunt in Tomorrow Never Dies when he slides under the helicopter, yeah. which is which is pretty damn cool. Yeah, um, the one where they jump down the building to get them, they, they tear oh, that's a huge, great. Yeah, they tear that a huge picture of, of uh, Jonathan Price's face. Jonathan Price, one of the worst Bond villains of all time. <laughs> uh, then what do you mean? <laughs> amazing Jonathan Price impression. It's like he's here. What about the um, amazing kite surfing scene that was all done for real in Dying of the Day? That's the great thing about the Bonstons. Don't even go there. They're all done for real in, inside a computer. I know. It's amazing. It makes me so angry. Love it. Um, it's taken us a long time to get to this question. It's a big one. From at Convict Dave. What's your favourite Bond actor? Uh, uh. Everyone has someone different. Mine's Connery. Love the podcast. Hashtag Emperor Bondcast. So, who's your favourite Bond? You're looking at me. Sorry, yeah, Chris is currently looking at me. Yeah, go on, Dan. Uh, look, it's, it's Connery. It is Connery. I'm sorry. It's just, he's the perfect balance of brutality, charm, comedy. In just three every, films, he is. It, oh! In three other films, he isn't. Which Whoa. ones is he not? First of all, we know you don't like. In his first three, he's brilliant, correct? Yes, yes. But, but then he very... You can see it in Thunderball, and it's even clearer in You Only Live Twice and Diamonds Are Forever that he's just bored, and he's he's kind of a bit flabby, and he doesn't want to do it anymore. Diamonds Are Forever, I'll give you that. Okay. Because that wasn't... I mean, it's quite, it's quite interesting going back to Diamonds Are Forever, because everyone talks about the Roger Moore ones being that much more risque and yeah. aiming for comedy, but Diamond, it started with Diamonds Are yeah, Forever, absolutely. totally. Um, and that's that's almost like Sean Connery doing Roger Moore yeah. in a weird wow, way. that's an image. Yes. <laughs> Yes, indeed. Um, but you only live twice. I wouldn't. I wouldn't agree with that one. But the, the all the kind of it was on in the office just before we started this podcast, and I was looking at the scene where he's sitting at the top of the volcano, just staring at um, Kissy <laughs> Suzuki just before he kisses her, and they're just looking at each other, and it cuts backwards and forwards about eighty times, and their, their expressions don't change. And it's just oh, well, that's not Connery's fault. That's just you know that's just is bad it all, editing. Is it all they had of him on the day? <laughs> 
It was, he was just staring and depressed into the distance. <laughs> Might have been worried about the volcano going off. Maybe. Yeah, he would be. So maybe speak. the lemon juice on his chest hair was stinging. I don't know. I can't, I can't hear much criticism of Connery in that role. He made the role. But having said that, my favourite's Dalton. Of course, it's really, Dalton. In a really perverse kind of way. There's nothing perverse about that. It's <sighs> perfectly natural. Oh, we hear the cool kids. Oh, the well, cool no, kids. it's not the cool Let's kids. say something different than Dalton, no one No, 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 no. Dalton had all the qualities that Connery had. Um, and he didn't have the sort of playful nudge nudge wink wink quality that that Moore brought to it and that, that was uh, that was refreshing for me after you know I grew up watching the Moore ones they were the ones that you know were on yeah, TV me too, mostly me too. and I, I I just liked the, the breath of fresh air especially in License to Kill and I always think it's a shame that there were such horrible rights issues with the Bond movies after License to Kill mm. because I would have loved to see him have a third and a fourth and maybe even a fifth movie and really have a chance to have a legacy. He's kind of seen as almost a failure because people look at it as going, oh, he only had two films. Mm. And they don't really look at the extenuating circumstances around that. Mm. It wasn't because he was rubbish as Bond. He, uh, he wasn't. Even though License to Kill wasn't, mm. a, wasn't a hit. He tried to do something different with the role. Don't misunderstand me. I actually really rate Dalton's Bond. Yeah. But I wouldn't put it above Connery. There was a third script, actually. I interviewed him earlier this year, and he mentioned it. He couldn't remember exactly what it was about, or much about it at all. It's <laughs> <laughs> a great story, though. He thought, he thought that he might have gone to Japan in it, but uh, that might have been something else he was reading at the time. Um, so I, Goldeneye wasn't tailored for him, and then no. retailer for Brosnan? No, because there was a long pause. There was a lot of legal issues. And so Goldeneye six years, yeah, yeah. Was, was a new thing uh, for Brosnan. Um, yeah, I'm going to be the guy. I'm going to be Alan Partridge. Um, <laughs> Coogan's ruined it for everyone, for all Roger lovers, but g- genuinely, I am entertained by Roger Moore as Bond. Like, I'm not entertained by any of the other Bond movies. I get that Connery's cooler, and more sophisticated, all that stuff, and I really like Dalton as well, but for me, there's nothing more fun about Bond than sitting down and watching The Spy You Love Me or Live and Let Die. That's just very very entertaining and it's all down to Roger's eyebrows yeah and nobody can rock a safari suit like that man absolutely <laughs> with such amazing. a degree of casuality to quote Alan Partridge stop getting born right yeah so I'm, I'm, I'm with Roger and um what about poor old Pierce no, one's, no one ever goes for, for Brosnan which is a shame because he, he may certainly it was the, the sort of law of diminishing returns with his mm-hmm. movies I mean each one was worse than the last but he was consistently excellent I thought in all yeah, four yeah he, he is really good in all of his films yeah I I, this is kind of controversial. Nobody ever seems to agree with me, but I think he's at his best in the world is not enough. Oh, get out! Get out! There's a, there's the door. Uh, no, he's really good in that. Yeah, thank you. Press the button to activate the trap door <laughs> in his chair. <laughs> but he did that thing where he kind of was channeling Sean Connery and Roger Moore a little bit too much, and it took him a while to find his own thing, which he did eventually in his third film. But I don't know. He is great. I love him, but he's no Dalton. No. I, I would also, I mean, you know, I, I don't want to just sound like we're listing all the bonds just for the <laughs> sake of it, but there is a case to be made, and I think it's a very strong case for Daniel Craig. I think he's the closest to Connery that there's been since Connery in terms of in terms of getting that balance right between those what I consider to be the the, the so three, the three elements the, you need for Bonds to, to well, it's all to, about to what you want Bond. from these films. Yeah. And for me, James Bond should be something like Indiana Jones. It should be a purely fun escapist kind of entertainment thing. Hmm. If you want something more serious, that's fine. But for me, Craig is too serious and too solemn, and you know, not just him, but obviously the films themselves. Yeah. So that I I want something that's a bit silly and a bit over the top I don't want some grounded realistic thing for James Bond for me that's not what that character's about right. but we obviously disagree on that yeah. the tricky thing with Craig is that you yeah. know, he's only made two films so far it's a bit like the Dalton thing he hasn't got a legacy yet and he signed up for two more so he's going to make five at least and Skyfall I think is going to be fantastic hmm. um, and the problem is he's really really good 
and he's fantastic in Casino Royale, and I love that movie. Um, but his next movie was Quantum of Solace. No matter how he's good he is in it, no matter, but no matter how good he is in it, I just do not want to watch that film again. Well, it's not a great film, but he is the he's the centre of that film that stops everything just about yes. mm. control. Without him, it would be absolutely yeah. intolerable. Incredibly watchable. Yeah, but the, the weird thing is, it's such an unbelievable character. He's a ridiculous character. He's a fantasy character. So suddenly, we're trying to make this character grounded in realism. It just doesn't work. Well, give it a few years. It'll be back. To, it'll be back to fantasy. It'll be Roger Moore all over again very soon. Yeah. I think we're clearly heading in that direction. I mean, that great shot in Skyfall where he jumps onto this this train trailer as the rest mm. of it crumbles around yeah. him, and he just adjusts his cufflinks yeah. and stands up really, really coolly. That was fun. I think he's he's clearly going in that direction again. If you rewatch Casino Royale, there's a lot of sly humor in there, and there's a lot of you know laughing at the situations around him, and it's not that realistic, really. I mean, the opening parkour sequence where he's running up cranes and jumping from crane to crane is yeah. it's, it, it's not exactly Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. <laughs> no, but neither Bond movies. True, true, but they're a little bit too po faced, I think. I think I think the Bond, the Craig Bonds, haven't gone quite that far. Mm. Fight about this. Fight about this later on. Good point, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> Did you just break wind? Is that what happened? <laughs> that was his. Uh, that was his lazy impression. I was thinking about Roger. <laughs> oh, oh, so that's what it was. Okay, uh, let's take a break from the questions to welcome a guest into the booth. Not literally. We we spoke to her a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Britt Eklund is famous for a lot of things. She was in The Wicker Man and Gay Carter, of course, indelibly, and she was married to Peter Sellers, who himself played a Bond in Casino Royale. But she was also. Mary Goodnight in The Man with the Golden Gun and she popped into the booth earlier to have a good old Bondy natter with Phil DeSimlin and myself enjoy uh, we're delighted to be joined in the pod booth by Britt Eklund uh, now Britt this is, uh, this is uh, for Global Bond Day to celebrate 50 years of Bond uh, when you did Man with the Golden Gun Bond had been going for 12 years so did you think we would reach this landmark we'd, we'd see Bond reach half a century well, no, because when I did my Bond, the Man with the Golden Gun, as Mary Goodnight, mm-hmm. um, it was just another movie in my career. I had already done a, quite a number of movies and was quite a well-known actress at that time. So, you know, it was a good job. Yeah. Very, very nice. Um, good perks, you know, beaches and luxury hotels and lots of travel. Um and I finished and that was it and I went my merry way to other things uh-huh. but then about 10-15 years ago I got involved with the Bond circuit so to speak you know I was invited to do charities and go to the premieres and and signings mm. and Bond you know Bond Bond things and it was fantastic and I, that's when I realised how mega big this this whole Bond thing is mm-hmm. so culturally at, at the time like you shot the film 1973 I'm guessing so at the time it came out in 74 it came out in 74 mm-hmm. but I guess you shot it in 73 yeah. so was it a, a big deal culturally were people going on were, were people making a big fuss about Bond was it a big thing to be in a, in a Bond film well you know the 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 franchise, the Bond franchise, has always been very protected by the Broccoli family and now the Broccoli Wilson family. So uh, they made sure that uh, it, it was very well hyped. And you were, I traveled all through Europe. I did, you know, all the um, Netherlands, Belgium, Germany, France, uh, countries, Sweden, and then ultimately ended up in, in London for the premiere here. Um, 
so yeah there was a lot of promotion even then even way back then but I never never saw it like it is today mm. I mean my day to day if you asked me about my day to day mind-blowing <laughs> that's all I can tell you mind-blowing <laughs> so what was your day to day tell us about well I started at um I got up at 5.30 and I started at 8 o'clock at Magic FM. Mm -hmm. And then I went into the Aston Martin with the gold case containing <laughs> the um, Blu-ray collection. And that that's the gold case that had been traveling all around the UK. Yeah. And I drive up to HMV in Oxford Street and, and there are literally a thousand photographers. <laughs> If not more. I mean, there was a wall of them and they're all screaming and it's only me. I'm not in, <laughs> I'm not even in the new movie. <laughs> you know, um, my, my future is in the past. Yes. So, uh, and I just show them the gold case and there was more screaming and flashes going they wouldn't let me walk and it was all throngs and uh, it was madness and then going in there um, and they'd done it really nice with big big posters and things and screens and then signing in there and and fans and it, it, it was like you know being a rock star <laughs> or even being a movie star You were, you were reminiscing fondly about the shoot when we met on Friday mm. and you said you had a month in Hong Kong and a month in Thailand mm. and you were there with Christopher Lee who obviously had the connection with, with Ian Fleming being I think distant cousins and Roger Moore uh, what was the what was sort of on set uh, atmosphere like did you guys all spend a lot of time hanging out together in when you were in the beach locations or how did it work? Well you know that when you work you can't hang out on a beach You you dressed in whatever you dressed in, and it's 200 degrees, and you sweat like a pig, and there's all these lights and cameras and tripods everywhere, and you they they can't mark anything because you work in sands, you trip over, and you ultimately always end up looking like a fool, and you have to do it again. Um, Christopher Lee is not a hangout kind of person. <laughs> he said that he did a lot of singing on set. Do you remember that? He liked well, to sing when he, he wasn't working. He is, um, I think he is a trained opera singer. He is, yes. And uh, we used to hear his voice uh, early morning, seven-ish <laughs> in the morning, booming out through hotel windows and uh, off, off set, obviously. His wife, who is Danish, Gita, When she came along, we, we used to spend a lot of time together because she's, she's a really, really nice person, as all us Scandinavians are. <laughs> And today, including Roger Moore's present wife, who is also Swedish. Lucky Roger. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, you, you, your preferences for Swedes uh, ahead of other uh, Scandinavian <laughs> Not men. <laughs> not men. Not I, men I'm not just men. putting us Swedish women. At the top of the tree. Uh, Yeah, I'd say any man that manages to get married to a Swede is very lucky. <laughs> <laughs> Just to talk about the, the, the film itself, I mean, Mary Goodnight is a slightly unlucky Bond girl in many ways because she gets locked in a, in a closet at one point she gets locked in a trunk so was a lot of your filming experience of just being shoved into small areas and then, and then left alone for a bit well it's funny you should say that because apart from being locked in a closet I was also locked in a boot yes and 
if you remember the movie, those were not comfortable poses. And you have to keep them. Yes. Until they say cut. Mm -hmm. And you can't see anything because you're behind a door or, you know, inside, which of course was a mock-up. But mm -hmm. I shouldn't tell you that because it <laughs> was actually a very hot, sweaty car boot. Um, yes, it's not always as glamorous as you think it is, wandering and hanging out in the on the beach, drinking pina coladas with Christopher Lee. No, that never happened. Mm -hmm. it, it's um, it's very hard work to be uh, on a movie set, however glamorous the location looks. And that's what they do. They make it look glamorous so that you, viewer, think, oh, these lucky people. What a wonderful profession. How glamorous and how well we do it. Mm. Is it um, it's true that Cubby Broccoli had seen you in uh, The Wicker Man? And that was kind of the, one of the things that kind of flagged you as a potential Mary Goodnight? Well... I don't know that because he never told me that. But you know, you know the story. I went to him and said, "I want to be Mary Goodnight." Having read the book, the Ian Fleming book, mm. um, having read in the papers that they making a new Bond, because you know they didn't do them every year. Otherwise, there would have been fifty Bond films. <laughs> and think of the usage of Bond girls to be that be no women left in the world. Think how heavy that case would have been. Oh, as well, exactly, <laughs> it's heavy enough as it is. Um, so um, he just, you know, I'm meeting him in his office in in Audley Street, and he just said, um, "No, we we basically just used the title, and that was it." And mm -hmm. then, of course, when I came back, I read in the paper that a Swedish girl was the Bond girl and of course it was me well it wasn't it was Maud Adams <laughs> um, and then I was called to his office and he said it, it, you know you are Mary Goodnight and of course when I arrive on set we started shooting in Bangkok mm. uh, with um, two, a baby a nine year old a nanny and a governess Uh, minus my boobs. That was uh, <laughs> a little problematic. <laughs> so, um, yes, he, he had seen The Wicker Man and he assumed that that's what I looked like, but I didn't. <laughs> the, the sexual politics of the Bond girl has changed over the years so much. Um, and Mary Goodnight is very much a Bond girl who wants to be Uh, Lay, Bond's lover. Are you yeah. going to say that? Absolutely. I was Use going to say that word. I was going to, yeah, might as well say it. It came laid, out of your mouth, right not mine. Yeah, of yours, yeah. Um, from the off, that's what she's she's looking for from Bond. Is that is that something you had fun with playing, or would you would you rather, because a Bond girl nowadays, the the fight to get into bed is much, much, much trickier for a Bond. Would you rather have played that? No, you see, I, I, I think that we have to look at it in parts. In the 60s and 70s, We women, most women, except maybe Vanessa Redgrave, Maggie Smith, we were all sex objects, yeah. kittens. And in order to work, that's what we did. Um, so when, when this opportunity, the man with the golden gun came up, you could use your sex kitten image, but you could also be a little bit useful. Um, and that's how I saw it. You, you couldn't do that today. It, people would laugh at you mm. um, because we are so 
politically correct today. And it's very nice because it's our children that has made us that because our generation certainly was not and I wasn't. But it was just ignorance. Mm. But no, and I think that if I hadn't been the person I was at that time, I wouldn't be sitting here because no one would be interested. If I was another highbrow, you know, um, smart um, city type woman with um, a grey suit and high heels. No, I I had to be who I was. I was going to ask about a film that's a massive favourite of mine, um, Get Carter, if that's okay. And and is it true that you had reservations about taking a role in in the film? I, um, I was not very happy with showing my body and I'd never been but again you know those that was the criteria in the 60s and early 70s mm. and it wasn't very subtle mm. it was you know the standard bra and knickers and and um what do they call it? They're things that hold up your stockings? I forgot Suspenders. Them. Suspenders. Yeah. Of course, you being a man, you would know that. <laughs> you um, straight up. Google Suspenders. Yeah. Google Suspenders. I forgot it. Yeah. All we do today is wear tights. Um, <laughs> yes, I, I didn't want to be perceived quite that obviously sexual, but I had no choice. That's what they wanted, and that's what I did. And Mike Hodges was very lovely. He, he understood. Um, you know how awkward I felt mm. Mm. and in those days what we used to do is or at least a lot of it but I can't speak for everyone but for myself if you had to do a love scene or be half naked as long as you didn't show your nipple so we'd just stick black camera tape across the nipples and then of course they can't use it if accidentally <laughs> they should show your breast yes. so uh-huh. we had all kinds of little tricks we taped we cut the knickers in half and then taped them to the top of our legs so that they could show a bit of thigh uh-huh. up to the waist but if you know they should slip down a bit on either side of your body for a bit of rump <laughs> or a bit of you know frontage they couldn't because it was all taped up oh yes I mean we spent hours and hours working out how to protect ourselves oh my god I might I, use some of the techniques I might, <laughs> I might, I might wear nipple tape myself um, I have to ask about the, 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 the phone sex scene as well in Gay Carter because who was on the other end of the line when you were shooting that scene what were you reacting to at that time probably Mike Hodges <laughs> probably uh, it was just a camera and me on the bed and Mike probably got right action mm-hmm. and I or maybe a script girl it certainly wasn't Mike Kane it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> he was uh, see I did, I shot that in um, in a room in London uh-huh. a very seedy room oh. a hotel room somewhere and um, I was never on location and I was never even near Michael Caine so um, so the first time you met Michael Caine was at the no 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 I'd known Michael since the late 60s Um, oh yeah you know we all sort of knew each other then you know Terence Stamp Michael Caine myself Susan Hampshire we all you know um, met up in different clubs said hello and Mm. disappeared and so, so it wasn't like we were young then. We weren't yeah. like mm. the people we are today. And Terence Stamp was one of our first podcast guests, oh. and he was telling us some of his stories of living with, with Michael. It, I can imagine that which was bending our bones as he spoke. <laughs> <laughs> we were, we were just—it's hard to even imagine what it was like in those days. Yes, but, and he lived in in the Albany 
which was right opposite Fordham and Mason's in Piccadilly. Mm. And I, rem- I was married to Peter Sellers, and mm. this must be, let's say, 66-ish, 7-ish. And this is when he was so devilishly handsome that, you know, you almost die just looking at him. And Sellers had a Rolls-Royce. Lord Snowden had designed the whole interior, and it was a drophead. And in those days, you you drive to the side entrance of Fort Mason, you know, down on the side of Piccadilly, and you just leave the car there, <laughs> and you just go in and shop. And when I came back from having shopped, and I get into the car, there is Terence Stamp leaning on the car, you know, on the side of the car, just watching me getting in. And I'm like, <laughs> but I was married, and I, <laughs> I quickly drove all the way home. Um, I'm, I'm going back to uh, to Bond very, very quickly because I know we have to let you go. But um, you did a few episodes of uh, Fantasy Island uh, with Hervé Filichais, who yes. played Knickknack. Uh, did, did you work with him again after Man of the Golden Gun? And did you reminisce? The boat, the boat, <laughs> the plane, the plane. Um, oh yes, we we uh, met up in back in Hollywood, mm-hmm. as they say. Um, and yes, I, I worked with him a couple of times, and he was like the toast of town. Mm. You know, he he was sort of like Dudley Moore. <laughs> he was really enjoying himself. I'm sure he was, yeah. Um, and then sadly, he didn't live very long, but he knew that. So mm. I think that he just took that opportunity of cramming as much as he could into his little life. Absolutely. And the women loved him, loved him, <laughs> absolutely loved him. Did you apologize for for leaving him in a, in a basket? <laughs> <laughs> no, I love that. I mean, I know it's very cruel. And, and you know, today you can imagine how politically incorrect is that ending. You couldn't do that today. Yeah, there would be an outcry, but we could then. The Bonds back then had a certain... Devil may care. Well, I mean, there was certainly much more humor Mm-hmm. in those days and and you were allowed to take those kind of chances and no one would say oh how dare they but Britt thank you it's been an absolute pleasure thank you so thank much you so it's been much. good fun and um, there you have it see you I'm, the next one I'm off now indeed <laughs> indeed we're going to go and have a drink <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Britt Eklund there, and she is in Panto in Windsor, uh, starting very, very soon. If you want to go see her, that should be fun. Uh, now what's back. She in? <laughs> Sorry, what's that? I, I don't know Aladdin. I think it's not like a Panto version of the Wicker Man. <laughs> no, I'd see not. that. Who wouldn't? That would be amazing. <laughs> he's 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 inside you. <laughs> You're on fire. Oh God. <laughs> that would be amazing. Um, back to your questions now. Let's start with one of my own. Uh, uh, this is prompted by Nick last night, who was who wanted to boast and brag a bit. How many bonds have we actually met? Yes, I love boasting and bragging. <laughs> uh, I wonder if I have the record. I may not around this table. We'll find out. I think Dan's presence may mean that you lose. Uh, I met Roger Moore um, about four or five years back at the Empire Awards when he came. I had a very strange conversation with him about Peter Jackson's King Kong, and he was he was marvelling at the size of the uh, of the monkey. 
Um, it was quite a short conversation. It's not a very good story. I've also talked to. Um, <laughs> I like it. I've it's talked good. to Timothy Dalton on the phone. Yes, as I mentioned earlier. Did we not burn alive the bad man? Is that what you said? Uh, he did. Yeah. He did. Among many other amazing things. He's very He's nice chap. Awesome. Very guy. nice chap. And um, I have interviewed Daniel Craig for Cowboys and Aliens. And I've met Pierce Brosnan, but not spoken to him, because I was a runner on Die Another Day at Pinewood Studios when they were shooting the big Ice Palace sequence, and uh, I was asked to take some peanut butter to his trailer. <laughs> true story. He true story. says that to all the runners. I, uh, so I, Smooth I, or crunchy? So I went out and I bought some peanut butter, knowing it was Pierce Brosnan. Smooth or crunchy? I can't remember. It's a vital detail. I, I would remember that. I can't remember that. It would have to be it smooth. It was the excitement. Then I went and knocked on his uh, trailer door, and he opened it, and he was in there with Halle Berry. And wow. Neither of them said a word. What were they going to do with the peanut, peanut butter? butter from me? <laughs> and closed the door in my face. <laughs> okay. Wow. Perhaps they were trying to catch some mice. <laughs> Possibly. You put some peanut butter on the end of a mouse trap. They love that shit. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, interesting. I'm saving you to last, Neil. Oh, okay. I'm saving you to last. Dan. Oh, Nick beats me. Really? Yeah. But you've been on, like, Uber Bonds. You've been on how many no, Bonds? No, no, no. I've only been on the set of two Bond movies. Oh, you're useless. I have. But Brosnan? Brosnan. Die yep. another day. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I was on that set. Good, good. Did you have any sense of the catastrophe that was about no, to unfold? None whatsoever. Did you walk into an invisible car? No, but I did watch them do a car stunt. Oh, for which, good. Which was was it was it with the car that is the invisible car, or was it just a generic car? I can't quite remember. For some reason, I got to see Halle Berry wearing the swimsuit. Oh, amazing! Yeah. yeah, there's a very long corridor at Pinewood Studios with with posters on either wall, and I had to get down to the other end. And then she came in walking in the other direction, but she was just wearing that swimsuit. So I thought I'd be a bit pervy if I looked at her. So I was just sort of walking while looking at all the posters, and uh, yeah, so it might not have been her. <laughs> Might have been a man. I'm pretty sure it was though. Yes. Anyway, and Daniel Daniel Craig is that it on Skyfall? Yeah. I mean, I w- was at the Empire Awards that Roger Moore was at, but I didn't speak to him. Okay. Um, and uh, Lazenby's a tricky one, isn't it? Lazenby's. Lazenby, no, no, no. Lazenby, no. Which Connery. is ironic because he would turn up to the opening of an envelope <laughs> that had Bond, ri- Basildon Bond, written on it. He's at all the um, things, isn't he? The conventions signing. That's right. He is. He's got to he earn is. a living, isn't he? Is. he? I I've never so. certainly not yeah. as an actor, so I can always add him to my list. Yeah. Uh, I have three, 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 three. Uh, Chris might win. Daniel Craig, listen, yeah. Daniel Craig mm-hmm. uh, for Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Mm-hmm. And we got on famously because we're both Liverpool fans. I went, oh god, nice to meet a fellow red, and he went, yes, yeah, so we drew one one of the weekend. And that was that. Was he very, <laughs> was, was he very sweary when you talked to him? He was. He swore a lot, which, well, I, which was quite endearing. I think I was the first person to do the Mikhail Blomfist glasses thing back to him, mm. where you rest your glasses on your ear and then off the side of your face. How like did that a, work like out a, for you? No, he liked it. Oh, okay. He was good, yeah. No, I liked it. I liked did it you a actually lot. do that? I did. Okay. I said, how did you do this glasses thing? Where, where did the glasses thing come about? And he said, well, and he said, can you do it? He said, and I said, yeah, I put it on my, because I've been practicing. You see? <laughs> you actually, I'm a, you actually I'm a journalist. Had, I prepare for interviews. Idiot, um, uh, Dalton. I once uh, I interviewed him for Hot Fuzz, and I caught him eating a biscuit. Uh, I think I hiding. I get the feeling that this was something he did for all journalists as an icebreaker. Oh, so some, so I, I walked in, and I walked in. There was a it was a hotel room, and you, you walked in, and you couldn't see the the main room, so you had to walk around a, a, a corner. And so I, walk, I walked in, and Dalton had his back to me. And he turned round and all guiltily, he had a Garibaldi, and he went, "Oh, I'm terribly sorry. You've, you've caught me eating a biscuit," and that broke the ice. I went, "Oh, he eats biscuits. I eat biscuits. We're all human." 
And then he expressed uh, surprise at my dictaphone. He didn't know what it was. And he went, what's this? <laughs> he didn't know you were a journalist, right? Yeah, no, but he, he'd never seen, I think he'd seen tape recorders, but never a dictaphone. An electronic dictaphone. When was this? This is 2007. Okay. You have to remember, this is Timothy Dalton. <laughs> He's not an idiot. <laughs> yeah, but Q wasn't around at the time. So, so he went, uh, what's that? I went, it's a dictaphone. And he went, a dictaphone? Please explain. <laughs> Which led to the short-lived sketch in the Fitty Blog episodes, Please Explain with Timothy Dalton. And I interviewed Connery once on the phone for half an hour and uh, about the Edinburgh Film Festival. And I had loads of questions because it's Connery. And he was amazing. And he was really friendly. And uh, at the end of it, I thought, oh, we're going really well here. This is fantastic. I haven't asked him about Bond. I haven't asked him about Untouchables. None of this stuff. And I said at the, at the end, I went, uh, uh, so Sean, it's been really great talking to you. Uh, I've got, as you can imagine, tons of questions I'd love to ask you. Um, I just wonder if you might be amenable to setting up a, a follow-up interview. Oh, no. We're okay. <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. There you go. And that's why he's the best Bond. <laughs> that's it. So you've done really well, but you hadn't asked him any questions about Bond. No, because it, was spe- it wasn't specifically about that. It was about the Edinburgh okay. Film Festival and his memories. But he, has, he has got a... He hasn't completely retired from show business, right? He has one more project. He has, yes. That he's working on. Yes. What is that project? It's an animated movie called Sir Billy, which is a Scottish oh, animated movie. It's not come out yet, no. I think it's beginning to do some festivals. So it was based on a short uh, called Sir Billy the Fett, and now there's a there's a, a full-length version called Sir Billy, which, you're absolutely right, has been in the works for years. I think they're finessing it, making sure it's absolutely perfect. And has he created that himself? What no, was he was just roped, roped in because I think it's very much about Scotland, and uh, he decided to do it because... Of Scotland, and of course, he's following Andy Murray around the world at the moment. Did anyone see that? Where he gate crashed Andy Murray's press conference after winning the uh, semi-final of the US Open with Alex Ferguson, the this Man United is, manager. Is, this is a sports-related thing, isn't it? Yeah, but it made the news. Seventy-five percent of the room, <laughs> and there's only four of us in here, so I'm going to move swiftly on. But he's still around. He's still around. Uh, and Neil, yeah, <laughs> you've met how many Bonds? I've met one Bond last <laughs> week. <laughs> Hey! You uh, guys have all met Bonds in professional circumstances, yes. where it's, <clears throat> mine could not have been less professional. He was um, he was filming <clears throat> a long way down, which is a Nick Hornby book, um, in a uh, just outside a cafe, not far from where I work. And my friends had been to lunch, and they came back and said, "Oh, Pierce Brosnan's across the road," and I kind of legged it out of there to go and just have a look at him. I didn't really know what I was going to do. I just thought. I've never met a Bond. I've never seen a Bond in the flesh. I thought, I'll go and say hello. (laughs) No, I didn't even think I'd go and say hello because that would be a stupid thing to do. So I went there and I saw him and I took some pictures of him, which he didn't seem to mind because loads of people were taking photos. And then he kind of ambled into the calf and I thought, well, this is my chance to go and speak to a Bond. So I followed him in there and it was a very small cafe. And as I walked into the door, he was kind of facing the door and he was just looking at me and I was looking at him and our eyes met across eight feet of empty space. And I said, hello. (laughs) And he said, I won't try and do the impression. He said, hello. Uh, so I kind of thrust my hand out and shook his hand. And I just didn't know what I was going to do after that. So I just babbled. I just asked him what he was doing. And he very politely told me what he was doing. And I wasn't really listening. I just couldn't believe was that I was talking to buying peanut butter? No, he wasn't. He was just standing, I think so he was waiting for somebody to get him a latte. Okay. Um, <laughs> but I just completely, at one point, I just completely lost my shit. And I just, I just blurted out, I'm really excited. <laughs> and I clamped my hand over my mouth. And you actually did that? I actually did that. Because I read that, that in your blog. Happened, yeah. but it actually happened. Wow. And he just kind of looked at me, yeah. Because I, I, I was terrified at what might come out next. <laughs> I just didn't know. Um, started quoting the script yeah. for yeah. the day. You are a cunning linguist. He didn't. <laughs> yeah. 
he just didn't I don't think he quite knew what to do so wow. he just kind of engaged PR mode and told me about the thing that he was working on and I, I just kind of was I tried to let him off because he was obviously slightly pissed off that I'd approached him while he was trying to do his job or at least get a coffee in the middle of doing his job so um, I thought well I'm going to just leave you alone but I have to get a photograph so I said to him do you mind if you know have you got a second for a quick photograph and he kind of gave me this look <laughs> and it had been quite friendly up until then he gave me this look and it was like the last thing I want to do right now is have my picture taken he didn't say this but he said it with his eyes yes <laughs> is have my picture taken with you but he said oh go on then so I tried to take the picture myself with my camera phone but I had to turn it around I couldn't see the button it was just I, I was there, and he was kind of looking at me in pity he was like good luck with that <laughs> I, did, I tried to take a picture, it didn't work. I was looking, I was searching through my phone in case it had oh. accidentally gone somewhere to the back of my cell Oh, no. Uh, and I had to say, it hasn't worked. Oh. Do you mind if I just get someone else to take it? <laughs> and he... It's like this audible kind of... <sighs> okay. <laughs> so I just grabbed this guy, said, will you take a photo? He took the photo. Pierce Brosnan looks really miserable in the photo. I <laughs> look really like it looks to me like I'm having the greatest day of my life. <laughs> and then I just said thank you very much, and I, I let him get on with his day. Oh, so, I, you so know, how long was the entire experience? The entire experience was probably four or five minutes. Oh wow, that's but, you know I'll be dining out on that forever. <laughs> no, it's it's absolutely amazing. I love that uh, you, the creator of Blog Along a Bond, didn't mention the concept of Blog Along a Bond. It just fell out of my head. Everything just went into the distance. <laughs> Didn't know what to do. I had a horrible experience trying to get my photo taken with Robert De Niro with a, <laughs> a Boots disposable camera at, at the end of an interview at this junket. And it started with just me and him standing there. Abandon the story. No, 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 no. I love this story. I love this story. Please tell it. Empire journalists should not do this sort of thing. I know it's not very professional, but it was Robert De Niro and he was in a good mood. So it was meant to be a very quick kind of flash. Bye. Thanks. And instead, the camera wouldn't work and it ended up with me standing there with De Niro with a horde of publicists staring at us with De Niro looking at this camera from Boots trying to get it to work and it because he was determined to get this photo to work I was like oh forget it don't worry oh, thanks a lot don't worry and he was like no I got it I got it and he, was, he was fiddling with it it was, it was horrible this oh. is why <laughs> that's, uh, that's extraordinary shake hands walk away yes absolutely <laughs> remember they're as scared of you as you are of them <laughs> they, are as, um, they are as impressed by you as you are by them yes indeed uh, okay at Dr. B-Dog says favourite ever Q gadget crocodile submarine anyone no <laughs> I've made a short list okay wetsuit with rubber duck attached to top that's a good one that's from Goldfinger fake nipple and a killer tea tray <laughs> Are these your favourites because you like to have them all? <laughs> They're just stupid. Uh, I like stupid gadgets. I like the stupid... Because I don't generally like gadgets in Bond films, so I kind of like the ones that are totally pointless in the background, like flamethrowing bagpipes and... <laughs> ones that could yeah. never conceivably be used. Why would Bond ever be wandering around with bagpipes and then need to throw fire out of them? <laughs> Why not? I love that the wetsuit with a rubber duck attached is from a Connery one. It's from Goldfinger. It's from a good yeah. band. Yeah, yeah, it's a good gag. It's a it great immediately gag. announces the tone of the film. Yeah, yeah sure. But he's not very impressed the, by it. But that's the one with the Aston Martin with all the gadgets and the ejector seat. The cars count as gadgets. I think so. I mean, they're Cuba, yeah. aren't you? I, I, so. I, I would go for the Lotus Esprit. Mm. Oh, yeah. Which is just, just 
such a special thing from my childhood. Just the idea of a car that can go underwater. Uh, like toy a submarine. And then he drives out onto the beach and all those people. For some reason, in my memory, they're French. In were my they, memory, were they so French? I, yes, I believe were so. Were they yeah. actually French? It was in Sardinia, wasn't it? I can't remember where it was, but for some reason in my head, they're all French. I don't some know of them, statistically speaking, I'm sure are French. Yes, okay. All these French people are like, ooh la la. And in my memory, there's also that, that guy with yeah, the bottle. the guy of, who locks yeah. his bottle is French. He is. He's a French director. He's like Maybe that's constantly he's... in the Roger Moore Bond films. I'm yeah. sure that guy is in every three film. He's, he's in three of them. Yeah. He's in three of them. He's yeah. in Venice, yeah. isn't he, in Moonraker? That's right. He's in Moonraker, Spile of Me. And I guess he's in Fiora's only at some point. Yes, he's drinking in the outside the chalet when Bond skis off the roof in Fiora's That's only. That's it, yes. I love how uh, almost every gadget Q gives Bond handily comes in useful towards the end of the... You know, honestly, you know, that, that thing of Moonraker, the, the paralysing dart with the watch. I mean, uh, under what circumstances would that <laughs> normally come in useful? And just... Right at the end of the movie, lo and behold, it does. The thing is, it would come in useful every time he meets a bad guy. He could just go, you know, one off the wrist, bang. But he doesn't. Why doesn't he do that in Moonraker? He only uses it to to blow up the whirly gig machine that he's trapped in and and shoot tracks at the end. He could just kill everybody with that. I think he doesn't. He's not very good at reading instructions. That must be. Forgotten that he's got. That must be. Yeah, he must have done. Well, Uh, you know, he doesn't truly respect Q's gadgets, does he? Yeah. You know, he's, it's beneath he's, him. Yes. Well, it's, it's partly that. He's just, you know, he doesn't think, he doesn't feel he should need them. Even though Q has field. saved his life on countless occasions. I know. He's ungrateful, frankly, isn't mm. he, Bond? Mm. I really like the, uh, the watching live and let die. Yeah. It's a magnet and a buzzsaw. <laughs> oh, yeah. And a watch. Although you and don't find out that it's a buzzsaw until he uses it as a buzzsaw. There's no point at which anybody says to him, here's a watch with a handy buzzsaw. It's a bit of a cheat, you know, how it just... Suddenly, at the end, he's got a buzzsaw that we didn't know he had. Precisely, that sort of stuff. Don't like that. Gets on my nerves. Mm. Uh, I love the exploding toothpaste in uh, <laughs> *License to Kill*. <laughs> it's like, why would you have exploding toothpaste? Um, uh, at Cyberman underscore one five one says, "Who would be your next James Bond?" The Fass. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Yep. I don't know. I can't. I don't quite see the Fass. Really? No. He, the face is 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 perfect the attitude if you've seen Haywire or X-Men First Class yeah I think that proves I think he I'd get has to like exactly him. what it takes yeah what I'd like to see I'd, I'd like to see because I can't think of anybody who I would like to see as another Bond I'd like to see Daniel Craig carry on doing Bond forever and I would like to see them address an ageing spy I know that effectively Bond did get older from Doctor No all the way through to A View to a Kill <laughs> it's never um, addressed it's, but it's never you know he's still sleeping with 23 year old girls when he's 50 something so you know I think that would be an interesting I, way I think they are seriously. addressing that actually it's a really really good idea and I think they are addressing it in, in Skyfall okay. to some degree not so much him getting older but I think they're addressing the idea of him being an older person now mm. there's, there's kind of comments about him you know it's, it's a young man's game mm. I think is something that uh, the Ray Fiennes character this is James Bond it's not about Schmidt I mean that's what I was saying earlier these are <laughs> meant to be fun films I don't want to you know see a guy hobbling around and moaning about existential sort of crises or clutching his back every five seconds yeah what's, what's the advantages of seeing him as an old man it's just it's just a character advancing and yeah. changing I, I love that sort of stuff I always like the idea of revisiting a character say 20-30 years after the the actor first plays him so I'd, I'd love to still see another Dirty Harry with Clint Eastwood being Harry Callahan in his 70s or you know I know you know King of the Crystal Skull wasn't great but it was nice seeing an ageing Indiana Jones no. but isn't the joy of Bond that this guy stays the same the world changes around him but he never changes yeah it is so, I just thought it was an interesting thing to do 
keep my mouth shut in future. No, <laughs> it wouldn't. <laughs> Who died and made you king of Bond? Um, yeah, I, I, it, for me, it's hard to see beyond Fastbender. Although I think by the time Craig hangs up his uh, Walther, uh, I think uh, Fastbender's uh, window may have may have shut. Yeah. To be honest, I think if Matthew Fong were to be the director of Bond at any point, he'd, he'd be a shoe in. Mm. Um, although, of course, Matthew Fong will say that he discovered Daniel Craig as well for Larry Craig, that he was the one who gave him his first, his first lead role. So, uh, mm. so he might be torn. I'm going to say Tom Hiddleston. Tom Hiddleston? Why not? Ridiculous. He's maybe too nice. Yeah, too nice. But he can do dark. He's too too slight. He's too slight. Yeah. Not in an actual way, in a physical way. He can bulk up. He can do it. I always liked the idea that um, I've just always seen Bond-esque qualities in Colin Farrell. I always have, right from the the moment he appeared on on screen in Tigerland. Uh, And I'd like to see him have a a crack at it. Um, Dan, you do not look like Colin Farrell. You do not look like him. Doesn't no, I've never no. said that I look like him. You're it's smiling just smugly because people. just a mention of Colin Farrell, you're going, I look like Colin Farrell. Oh, I'd be a pretty good Bond. Yeah, you would be. You would be. Um, With Christopher and, Nolan directing. Wasn't oh, Hugh yeah. Jackman offered it at one point before Craig signed on? Or there was, there was certainly talk that he was... I think everybody was offered it at some point. He was in the room. I was offered it. Were you not offered it? No. Oh, my God. I would have said yes. But amazing. A short squat Northern Irish Bond <laughs> would have been amazing. You didn't get offered it? No. We all, we all got offered it. Dan, did you get offered it? Yeah, definitely. I was too busy. So it's all gone a bit tense and cold in here. Is James Bond a title is passed on, says at Clarky9, you absolute... Anyway. Or does he regenerate? Or is it plastic surgery? Ah, now this is a theory that uh, Bond is a is a code name that's passed yes. down from actor to actor. Yes. I, I, I talked to Lee Tamahori when I was covering Die I'd Another like Day. I'd like to talk to Lisa Hamahori Re- about look, let's not Look, let's not get into that. But he was <laughs> actually, a, he was a really good, really good interview. A really good interview. He was in the edit suite for Die Another Day. And let's not talk about the bit where he told me how it was going to be amazing that he was doing stuff with CG that they've never done in the franchise before. That oh, would, the, they he, he had never know. <laughs> he actually assured me, you will never know it's CG. But anyway, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about he had, he wanted a scene. Now, if you remember, Die Another Day was the 40th anniversary movie. Uh-huh. And he wanted to have a scene where Pierce Brosnan turns up at this old castle in Scotland somewhere or something. And in there, he bumps into this old guy who is Sean Connery. And they actually have a moment where it's revealed that it is indeed James Bond is the codename. And this was the guy who was Bond before back in the 60s and early 70s. And, and, and Connery has like a little kind of mentor bit of dialogue with him about giving him advice on how to deal with the situation and everything and he wanted to do this he told me on the record and uh, Barbara Broccoli and Michael G. Wilson for some reason said no way <laughs> but he wanted to do that and that yeah. would have that would have sealed in the canon that it is just a code name. Someone on Twitter a few a few months ago did a, a storyboard for an introduction for a pre credit sequence where uh, the, the threat is so great to mankind that all the Bonds have to get back together. Oh, yeah, so it Who, was yeah. it was Connery in his jetpack and it was Moore on the in his alligator costume. You know, it was Dalton, and I love the idea of seeing all the Bonds together mm. fighting fighting. Uh, well, there evil. was there was that but, great advert, wasn't there? Oh yeah, advert, the great sky, sky advert, advert. Yeah, love yeah. that. 007's assemble. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Narrated by uh, Colin Salmon, the, uh, the the best Bond that never was. Um, yeah, I, I like the idea in theory, but in practice, it's just daft. No, it's ridiculous. It? Yeah, I think what happens is that the actors get a little bit old, then they go away and they get a new actor in. And, and, <laughs> and, and Father Christmas. Where do you go? Let's not go there. <laughs> Father Christmas would make a great James you Bond. Just take all the magic out of it. No, it's just actors, Chris. I'm going with regeneration. Definitely. That'd be sure. a lab. <laughs> well, the Blofeld did that. 
Blofeld had plastic surgery. Well, not regeneration, but he had plastic surgery. Well, yeah, and Dino of the yeah. Day, the, the bad guy has plastic surgery That's right. completely, mm-hmm. too. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't like that theory at mm-hmm. all. And also, the, the movies disprove the theory, because not only do various other characters continue over different Bond's uh, arcs. So, for example, David Hedison, who plays Felix Leiter. So he's he's Roger Moore's Felix Leiter. He's Timothy Dalton's Felix Leiter. There's obviously M's and Q's at, at Span, several mm-hmm. eras. There's also the fact uh, of Tracy, uh, yeah. Bond's wife, who is mourned not only by George Lazenby, obviously, uh, but by Roger Moore mm. in For Your Eyes Only, and uh, he's she's mourned by Dalton, and uh, mm. Licensed to Kill, and mentioned by Brosnan in one of the movies as well. And also Connery has, there's a moment, I think, where uh, Tiffany Case, she pretends to be his wife, checking into a hotel, and you see Connery has this kind of reaction, considering that's the film that followed on A Majesty's Secret Service. Mm. Connery has this kind of reaction, like he's... Pass me by, I have to yeah, say. Yeah. Mm. Go back to it. Okay. If you, if you really want I'm to. I'm not sure I'll do that. <laughs> Maybe I will. Do it immediately after this. Uh, we've got one last question, and this is really, I guess, specifically for Nick and myself. It's from at Joe Cunningham14, who's one of our uh, trusted freelance writers. He's, he's actually doing a Bondathon. Uh, next weekend Egypt is doing a 22 film Bondathon he's asking for tips <laughs> do it over two years <laughs> yeah, yeah do it really slowly a frame at a time yeah I mean this is brave because this is two more films than we did this is nearly one of which is yeah. Quantum of Solace um, you're ending but, a quantum we ended and die another day yeah I mean by the time we got to the Brosnan years it was properly like you know major come down stuff I have no memory of Dick Brosnan years which either does he really yeah, I have a vague memory of eating coffee straight from the tin um, <laughs> I'm pretty sure I actually did that I will say you know I, as I said earlier I'm a huge fan of Roger Moore but 17 straight hours of Roger yeah. including two and a half hours of Moonraker will push you to the limit you hit the wall roughly about 17, 18 hours in which put you slap bang in the middle of Moonraker yeah. and it, it's it's a killer and it's just the puns just keep coming pounding at you <laughs> like an endless wave of pain and, and it keeps uh, getting older and and yeah, all the all the things about Bond that, that, that you don't normally notice when you watch them in isolation um, when you watch them together they really begin to, to pile up the fact that he's rubbish <laughs> he's just a terrible terrible secret agent who keeps being knocked out by people people can just creep up and bond he must be deaf or something and also he's just extraordinarily sleazy and just, everything just compounds eventually you begin to hate the character and the, and the movies and yourself and, it takes and the a, world and everything it takes a, a physical toll as well it's, it really does even before we got to the end of the Connery years we were flagging yeah. and by the end of more you're in some kind of existential funk never again wandering around staring at the floor never so. say never again except in this case where I say never again and I need it <laughs> is, most is never, never, say, never say never again never say never again part no, of it your, wasn't of it, your, was specific, it was no. Eon movies only so it was no Casino Royale there was no never say never right. again it was just the 20 Bond films at right. that time I remember okay. Kim Newman chastising us for not including those that's not go there let's <laughs> 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 uh, wrap this up uh, sorry if your question didn't get asked uh, there's time for just one more quick interview though uh, Stephen Riley popped in to talk about Everything or Nothing which is a fantastic documentary it's very sly and witty and candid and is only 97 minutes long I honestly could have watched another 97 minutes of Bond brilliant. history it is fantastic speaking to Phil and Ali Plum it's an incredible and, gig I've got to say like I'm, I'm a little bit jealous of you that you your job was to go through and wallow in Bond and get to interview some incredible people how did you get the gig? 
Um, well, actually, the, the um, one of the producers, um, John Batsek, I worked with on a, a, a film prior to this called Fire in Babylon. John was then working with another producer, Simon Chin, and the pair of them had been in touch with the Bond producers to do something for the 50th anniversary. So um, that was all kind of set in place, and they were keen to do something um, quite, um, you know, grand mm. for the 50th. And uh, the thought was to do a cinema-length documentary, which hadn't been done before. So then I was called in, and um, I, I had the freedom to go away and sort of plot what I you know, wanted to do with it and um, I sort of was quite keen to get away from the girls guns gadgets line mm-hmm. and um, and then you know the th- aspect I found quite interesting was actually how on earth had Bond survived this length of time you know <laughs> 50 years and 10 years with uh, the writer Ian Fleming so 60 in total yeah. which is unprecedented in film history and, and, and continuous largely you know yeah. apart from that there was one sort of like really wobbly patch at the um, end of the 80s early 90s when it was Bond was off the air for uh, off the screens for six years mm. and that led to a few questions would it ever come back but otherwise it's been you know unbroken and, and I think that's um, you know that was the most important question to address Could you attribute that to one single factor what would it be if you could do you know um, I'd probably go for two if I'm allowed <laughs> if I could sneak another one out but I'd think uh, you know, partly it's um, or in large part it's the the nurturing of the the filmmakers and that's largely you know the Bond um um, family, which is the Broccoli's, who've been there since year dot. Originally, it was um, uh, Cubby Broccoli and Harry Saltzman. They worked together as a pair, but then that that partnership split. And uh, but it's taken that kind of that you know um, um, you know that kind of care and attention that comes with this being a family concern, mm-hmm. um, and not least also a knowledge of the character, which is quite you know surprisingly complex. And I think that's part of the appeal of Bond is that you've got. Um, you know this character penned by Ian Fleming, who was you know multifaceted, very contradictory, quite enigmatic, and sort of you know appeals to us on a lot of different levels, and you know and um, often um, at these sort of very sort of contradictory extremes. You know that Bond is you know sort of like a brutal assassin and a romantic. He's a, you know sort of a um, yeah. life giver and taker, and you know cad and you know whatnot, but also kind of you know as the as the, as the soft touch all these elements that I suppose um, you know ought to make for quite a conflicted individual and um, and arguably in Daniel Craig's portrayal you know that's really kind of you know coalesced and come to the its final point and that's you know Daniel, Daniel Craig's character um, is arguably closest to Ian Fleming's original um, conception of Bond. Yeah, Bond fans, I think, are reasonably well known for being pernickety and knowing their stuff. Did you have an imaginary Bond fan on your shoulder as you were editing this and making this happen? Going, I've got to get this exactly right. If I make one flub or a factual error, people are going to be on me. Well, do you know, I, I'll be honest. I thought there would be a lot more kind of you know ruthless. Um, some of the, you know the the responses um, for, to the film coming out. Oh, you missed this. You missed that. I mean, of course, you know, if you're trying to condense sixty years of history into ninety minutes. Mm you're going to miss a lot out and that was kind of half the challenge really is kind of you know um um you know what to keep in and um uh, but at the same time I, I i made sure to get in touch with some of the you know um there was a few fans who really helped me out and uh, you know sat with them we had our kind of regular meeting a few guinnesses down in the pub in soho oh, and we wow. sort of you know just chat chat bond the whole way to us like scribbling notes <laughs> 
uh, the whole way through just to make sure that I got yeah their view on what should be you know what was important what wasn't but equally I wanted to tell I wanted to make sure that as well as addressing you know what they thought was crucial to also provide stuff which they didn't know about mm. and to also, yeah. you know make sure that when they sat down and watched it there was something new and refreshing for them too yeah so um uh you know and it's been nice you know so far has been you know even some of the real hardcore fans getting back to oh, I, I didn't know this I didn't know that you know so I was always keeping an, an ear out to what might be a bit you know new or certainly not things that hadn't appeared in the readings that I'd um you know done as well and I'd, I'd read a lot of the texts that were out there the story that spans the 50 years is, is as you say it's an incredibly expansive tale there's a lot of sort of mini stories within it and there's things in the film that are incredibly fascinating I hadn't really seen before George Lazenby being one of them tell me about that because he he comes across so differently from anyone else and it's kind of like his he kind of exemplifies the the pressures of being Bond probably is better than any of the other Bonds you know the footage you have of him turning up at the premiere um, on Her Majesty's Secret Service with the long hair and you every, suddenly realise actually you can't do that mm. you know you have to live this character away from the screen a bit as well which makes the Daniel Craig stuff make even more even more sense you think there's a story in, in George Lazenby on his own almost to take further further well I think you know yeah George's story is, is quite special and I think it sort of warrants you know in the middle of in the middle of um, however far in it is about sort of you know sort of halfway through the film you get this you know section with with, um, with George where he's just allowed to hold court for you know eight minutes or so of the film yeah. so it's all about him no other interviews are sort of you know cut in it's just his perspective on being Bond and um, and I you know I think it was fascinating really to you know on a few counts showing that you know within the survival story you know what was the jeopardy of being Bond you know playing Bond the character you know what are the kind of the um the pressures that 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 individual has to face you know mm. that, that actor and, uh, and in the case of George Lazenby I mean he was a complete unknown never acted before you know managed to kind of like blag his way into playing the part and there's a you know there's a big explanation on how on earth he even got cast in the first <laughs> place uh you know he winged it and I think he's and he sort of like represents the everyman um, and what would have happened to any one of us had we been sort of, you know, pushed in the back and sort of <laughs> yeah. like say, okay, here we go. There's, there's a chance to play the biggest, you know, part in, in cinematic history. Um, and, and he freely admits, you know, he came unstuck and it was tough, you know, keep playing up to that. As much as he wanted to be Bond, you know, um, in the real world, you know, that, that's a tough act to follow and it's hard to actually, you know, play that part. And, and he didn't quite manage. And I think it, to, his, um, to his regret, because it meant that he only did one film we really enjoyed <clears throat> Timothy Dalton in in his in his passion of of remembering you know how created this character was he was he easy to warm up or did he just sort of come more guns blazing for the interviews how did they work I mean if you could give us like a microcosm of how those interviews would have worked for you did you sit them down every period like a number of sessions or just one just kind of, just one for Tim yeah. and just one for Piers I went out to I did uh, three of uh, interview three of the Bonds uh, Tim Piers and also George in LA and um, they were quite, you know, closely packed those interviews. But, um, but you know, there'll be a bit of a preamble, just try to explain what I was out to do. And they were all actually quite very sympathetic to, you know, the um, to the aim of the film, recognising it could be a sort of like a real legacy piece. And this was like a, you know, real chance while, um, you know, all the Bonds were around to um to you know to um tell the to the real story mm. and 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 you know thankfully they they sat down for long longer than necessary and um and I think we sort of got to the heart of the matter I mean, you know after you've been sat down for a while you know but, but people's guards come down anyway and you know there's only there's only so much you can you know sort of um any pretense you might want to keep but I think that all of them were very honest from the start and 
um, you know, hopefully saw that the film had been well researched, or mm. you know, as, as, uh, and the, or at least for the the storyline that we were pursuing. Have they seen it now? I think no. they all have. Yeah, I think so. As far as I'm aware, apart from. Um, uh, I'm not sure what the contact has been with Sean. I mean, this is the, the thing, you know. Yeah, you, you talked about the disappointment of not being able to get Sean into the film. How far down that track did you get before you sort of hit a wall? Well, do you know, there's a few points when um, it looked like it might happen, might not happen. I think that sort of represents the sort of the, the, the contradictory, you know, relationship that Sean has with the with Bond yeah. I think he's very grateful um, doubtless that you know for how it launched his career and he's obviously got even a quiet emotional attachment to the character but there was you know there were elements of you know sort of um, uh, bad blood over the years or at least a kind of a sense of resentment that Sean felt about um, how um, he was treated or how he ought to have been treated so um, but you know got quite close and then you know and then the trail went cold and you know just um, but several attempts to try and get him on board and then um but you know I think when you watch the film you understand why he's not in it you know it makes it makes a degree of sense and um, and I did almost get to the point where I thought well actually even if I had Sean's interview now I just I was just kind of questioning you know how it would how it would slot into the edit because mm. it was it was almost like you know a lot of that stuff had been said in archive very well and there was a lot of archive material that I had access to for um, of um, interviews that Sean had given across the decades mm. did you think about did you talk to Martin Campbell or or um Mark Forster potentially about the two getting them to contribute do you know I'll be honest Martin was one interview especially that I really wanted to get because he was responsible for the two major relaunches I mean yeah. he did GoldenEye and Casino Royale so he kind of he launched Piers and then Daniel as well and I think there's a you know both you know recognised as being great films um, you know as it happens within the narrative survives without him he was, he was actually busy he was filming in Hawaii yes um, so um, uh, but yeah I mean he, yeah he'd have been great I mean just from, as a filmmaker I'd just love to have you know had a, had a chat with him Bill Clinton is a surprise cameo which I've just probably given away there but how did that come about and I gather Rosamund Pike may have been involved somewhere along the line well you know actually it was um, uh, in fact it was it, it happened um, uh, prior to um, uh, Rosamund it, 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 as it happens I mean I found out from um, Rosamund that, that she used to be friends with Chelsea Clinton at university um, but um, but we I'd, actually there was another there was another kind of um, rumour that uh, we'd heard that he was a big Bond fan um, so we sort of chased that lead very early on mm. um, and um, and yeah and then came back and he said yeah straight away he said yeah I'd love to do it um, so that was great and then sort of, and actually in his, his enthusiasm too you know sort of sat down with him and you know you could just tell he was sort of like eager and buzzing to kind of you know just show his Bond knowledge and he'd watched a lot <laughs> and and actually and some people might kind of you know you know expect him to be a bit shy about that but no he was he was um he he wanted to you know just say how fine an example bomb was you know to western civilization and and that had started with jfk interestingly enough which is mentioned i mean he was really responsible for helping launch the the in in so many ways um james bond because he endorsed ian fleming's book from rush with love put that in his top 10 reads and it was on the back of reading that that you'd one of the presidents of united artists said well actually because you know then we should pay attention to this too and that helped to get the film deal set up and mm. so jfk was a big sort of linchpin and he knew fleming as well they'd had a few you know um uh, get-togethers and yeah so this presidential link I found quite, yeah, quite interesting yeah could um, could 
Clinton do a good Sean Connery as Bond impression? Gee, I wish I'd got. I wish I'd had uh, a, another. They were, they were sort of calling time. I had, I had that set, you know, at the end. Yeah. Said, so, you know, give us your best Sean, but no, they, yeah. they, 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 they kicked me out Damn. by that point. How long did you have with with um, with Bill Clinton? Do you know? I supposed to have twenty minutes, I think. But we managed to, you know. In fact, and he was quite good. He sort of gave me another fifteen. Yeah. Or so, you know. It was, it was all, you know, just and again, shown his passion for the subject. He just wanted to keep talking about it. I think for me. Sam Mendes not being a Daniel Craig or being you know almost like Daniel Craig shouldn't be Bond part of that whole groundswell was a big surprise very candid actually yeah. Sam and it was great and th- those you know those um, confessions are so important you know to kind of just know what was going on I mean Dan- and, um, and Sam is a massive Bond um, mm. nut himself you know he kind of um, I think uh, you know he knows his stuff about Bond and, and for him to come out and say that and, and admit that you know, everyone was wrong, um, or a lot of those naysayers were about, yeah. about Daniel. Yeah, and for you, you've obviously working with Simon Simon Chin, mm. who's producing some extraordinary documentaries at the moment. I mean, there's amongst them, but The Imposter, obviously Man and Wire. Search for Sugar Man. Search for Sugar Man, Project Nim. I mean, like, just spectacular. We were talking about him and thinking, you know, maybe he's the, uh, the Harvey Weinstein almost of like, documentaries at the moment. Well, I saw, yeah, all kicking off for Simon and, and for John too, actually. I mean, John, because um, uh, Simon's with Redbox Films and mm. John's with Passion Pictures and between the two of them, they're kind of like, yeah, they've sort of uh, uh, sort of, uh, sort of got a monopoly, really, I think, yeah. on uh, a lot of these um, cinematic docs. Have you discussed other projects, other stories that you'd like to explore? Um, there's a couple, actually. There's a few that I'd sort of like uh, started, in fact, just before Bond. So I want to try and sort of get those back on back on track. But I'm gonna have a little break, in fact, um, I think, and then um, and then kick off again and sort of you know chat with chat with uh, uh, both the guys, see what's see what's going on, because they got a lot of stuff coming their way too. So yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> Thanks, Stephen, for coming in and talking to us, and uh, to see the film which is out today. Pleasure, thank you. And that's it from our special Bond cast. Uh, join us in a few weeks for more 007-related fun, when we'll have a couple more specials dedicated to Jimbo. First, we'll have a Skyfall spoiler special with a couple of special guests connected to the movie, and and we're hugely excited about this. This one actually may come before the Skyfall spoiler special. We're going to have a podcast featuring and dedicated to. Roger Moore. Roger Moore. Uh, and that Roger is coming up. Himself. And unless, of course, he gets stuck a chisel ground about that, it's going to come up in a couple of weeks. <laughs> Do not miss it. Until then, it is goodbye from Nick. Goodbye. <laughs> goodbye from Dan. Goodbye. Goodbye from Neil. You better have an impression. Uh, g'day, mate. The name's Bond. <laughs> Hang on. What, how's George Lazenby got in the George, it's good to see you. Hello. Yeah. Throwing out the shrimp on the barbie. I, I heard there was an envelope chef. being opened. <laughs> Thank you. And of course, it's goodbye for me. I'm off to attempt re-entry. Not in a sex way. Oh, Oh, just in my office. Bye.